Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey everybody, Chad and Madden here with the Grow Your Practice podcast. And in this episode, I want to take a step back and talk about the historical uh, evolution. So we're going to do a brief history of the evolution of marketing. Uh, It's going to be global within all of healthcare, but we're going to take, as you know, I'm a private practice physical therapist. So uh, certainly there's going to be a bias in there um, towards knowing the history of private practice physical therapy, because I think it is a bit of an outlier. There is somewhat of a difference compared to um, other conservative healthcare verticals, such as naturopathic medicine and uh, podiatry, chiropractic care, dentistry, uh, occupational therapy, speech, et cetera. So we'll talk about some similarities and differences. The As much as I possibly can, I'm going to try to stick to uh, an objective history in the beginning uh, before I interject any thoughts or opinions or um, anything outside of a historical context. So the beginning, we'll, I'll be as objective as possible. In the, the latter end, I'll, I'll share my personal experience and uh, what changes I've seen as well. In the end, really want to give you a historical context of, of how marketing is changing so that by looking in the past, you can more predictably see what's coming to us in the future as healthcare, um, essentially healthcare practice owners and marketers. So as you know, you know where did physical therapy come from? Um, essentially came from uh, the polio uh, epidemics in the late 1800s and also uh, World War One and the invention or the creation of restoration aids. And uh, in, in particular, after World War One, we were really uh, physical therapists or reconstruction aides were really an extension of the physician, primarily working in hospital-based systems or within hospitals. Uh, re- really good book uh, to check out is, uh, I believe it's called um, History of uh, U.S. Healthcare by Thomas Loker. Uh, some of it is polarizing politically, I would say the last 20, 25% of the book. Um, that That's up to you if you want to read that or, uh, you know, have comments and thoughts about that. The the first 75% of the book is amazing at giving the history of healthcare in the U.S. over the last 200 years. Um, In the 1960s, private practice PT uh, started to uh, come into existence. Um, I believe right around that time, there were only a handful of states, maybe one or two, that um, had direct access and I believe Nebraska was the first in the 1950s, 1954 off the top of my head, um, if that's correct. In, you know, at, at, over the years, um, where I'm at here in central Pennsylvania, there were really only one or two um, private practices uh, initially beginning in the, um, in the 70s. And then it became more and more competitive over time. I know here in Pennsylvania in the 1980s, which was more than two decades before we received uh, direct access here in Pennsylvania. I think, I believe it was 2004, we received direct access. Um, you know, Pat Croce was a extremely successful private practice owner um, in the greater Philadelphia area. I believe uh, he had 40 locations 
uh, or maybe it was, it was either 20 or 40 locations, sports physical therapist, Stank. He wrote a few books. Um, you can check them out. Uh, I believe his latest book was, uh, I feel great and you will too. But Pat Croce, before he was, became part owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, the great Iverson run, if you remember the, uh, in the early 2000s, there was an owner who was at all the Sixers games, especially when they went to the finals, regardless of where I, if where you're at in the country, if you're an NBA fan at all, there's an owner with uh, usually um, low profile. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what, how to classify those glasses, but they were super unique. And then he had a, a red goatee, which was pretty memorable. Um, but yeah, before the 76ers, before Comcast, uh, I believe Pat Croce um, got a start as a, a private practice physical therapist. I don't believe that he, he actually did it. The, the key point of bringing him up is um, in the 80s, again, 20 years before direct access, um, Pat Croce had a marketing machine for his company. And he and it was a direct to consumer. So he wasn't relying on physician referrals. He wasn't really uh, behaving only as an extension of the physician. Um, he had this PR machine and I know they would have, uh, you know, many of the great uh, Philadelphia athletes at the time, uh, like Mike Schmidt, uh, Dr. J, um, I think Eric Lindros, if you're a hockey fan, et cetera, the athletes like that were, um, they were going to Sports Physical Therapist Inc. And um, they were uh, receiving their PT there and um, they were working out there, et cetera. Again, Pat writes about this. But the key point there is, um, you know, this gentleman was way ahead of his time with regards to marketing and going direct to the consumer. And unlike our contemporaries and again, other conservative care markets where they didn't really have those physician referrals and they weren't an extension, they didn't begin as an extension of the physician, um, they were uh, independent or had more autonomy from the beginning, uh, physical therapy really had to develop that over time. We had to wean away from uh, solely relying on physician referrals because you know, when I first, and this is less historical context, right? So um, up until um, that point, the primary way, uh, so let's call it 2000, up until 2000, the primary way, and again, Vision 2020 with the APTA, the primary way to grow a practice, the lifeblood of a practice was physician referrals. So we were very dependent on them. Um, and even when I, you know, this is where I'm going to switch over to personal interest um, and experience in 2003, when I opened up and the business plan was simply five new patients a week, it was really a self-employed uh, business model at the time. Uh, what I did in the first four months of practice was uh, pretty ridiculous. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have to do this again, but I did 37 uh, physician luncheons. So just, you know, going out there is to, uh, two or three days a week, doing physician luncheons, waiting for the physician to come into the office. And hopefully I could persuade them um, in, in some legal and ethical manner to send me a trust-based referral. Right, uh, and then the idea at the time, and this pretty much dominated, this thought dominated the market that we would get a, a physician referral, we would treat the patient so well that they would go back to their physician, thank them for referring them to us, and then we would get more referrals over time. And uh, 
to be fair, that model worked pretty well um, for us on a small scale. So over the first five years in private practice, we grew from really two physicians referring to us um, up until our peak in 2008, where we had 200 different referral sources here in central PA referring to us uh, single site location. We were roughly 4,000 square feet. Um, so 200 physicians a year, unique physicians, no physician represented more than 4%. And by the way, when I say physician, I mean physicians, nurse practitioner, PAs, et cetera. So professional uh, clinicians that are referring to us um, and that we hit an all-time high of 154 uh, new patients referred to us in a month um, that were by way of physician referral in, yes, November of 2008. So then right around that same time, there was a rise. And if you remember, we hit a bit of a financial crisis. And if you followed um, any of the events that were happening for uh, hospital healthcare systems, and in particular, their executives, there was a major push to um, really capture as much of the uh, referral cycle as possible. So major push for larger healthcare systems, um, capturing revenue, et cetera. And what that meant was healthcare systems and hospitals purchasing um, a physician. In the beginning, it was primarily uh, family physician offices, but capturing their diagnostic imaging referrals, their, their lab testing, et cetera, and their auxiliary services such as physical therapy. So uh, that began to happen here in central Pennsylvania in 2008. And you, you could literally, you can go back and see, again, the, the major events, the major marketing events for executives were talking about this idea of, of capturing more, uh, more revenue. So what that did is very much create a problem, uh, an obstacle, a barrier for independent private practice owners staying in business, right? Declining physician referrals, this has been documented 2003 to 2014. It was roughly a, a 50, I believe it's 53.6% decline in physician referrals to physical therapists for back pain. It was published in 2018 in the Journal of General Internal Medicine and then recaptured again uh, within one of the, the APTA periodicals. Um, so that, that was a real problem for physical therapists. And it's somewhat um, what makes us unique because our, our our peers, our colleagues in conservative care, they already had to solve this problem uh, 50, 150 years ago, right? They had already faced this. So they couldn't rely on physician referrals. And we, we really had to go through that weeding process. And as late as uh, 2015, which was the first event, um, the first PPS event or any APTA affiliated subsidiary event, whatever you want to call it, but I think you know what I mean. Um, so PPS 2015 was at Rosen Shingle Creek. Um, the, at that point, that was the first time that I had ever attended, attended an event not where I wasn't truly a, a practice owner. I was, I was a practice owner at that time, but I was also uh, representing Breakthrough. And um, that at that event, spoke with over, I was doing these little mini sessions uh, where I was teaching marketing basics and uh, a lot of hardcore learning for me. 
uh, in a very short period of time, but it was great. Uh, it was just this huge learning curve. And uh, yeah, spoke with uh, well over a hundred uh, private practice owners individually. And the, the, the conversation at that time, again, this is 2015 for point of reference was, wow, that really stinks that you're where you're at in central Pennsylvania. I can't believe 90% of the you know, the area physicians now work for the hospital system, one of three hospital systems, you know, we just don't, we don't have the pops or the hops competition that you're going through. And uh, right now we're doing pretty well. And so then I started to ask this question within the last 12 months, what percentage of your new patients, your new plans of care coming through um, are coming from, let's do three different buckets. One is physician referrals. The second one is your patient list. And the third one is cold traffic or what we were calling unique to PT at the time, you know, direct access patients, but it really means cold traffic, right? So, and th this kind of threw owners off um, at the time and, and realized that, you know, more than half of the country hadn't really started feeling the squeeze yet. I could see it happening, um, but it really hadn't taken full effect yet. And the, so the physician referrals, many practices were saying, 70%, 80%, 90% physician referrals. Um, the other thing that I commonly heard there is uh, we get a lot of word of mouth referrals, although I didn't talk with a single owner that was tracking that in any meaningful way or measurable way at all. It was just kind of this gut feel that they had, um, you know, felt, seemed a little whimsical. Uh, so we're highly dependent on physician referrals and I'm just glad what's happening to you in central Pennsylvania isn't really happening to me yet. So we started teaching courses and, you know, our original course was uh, killer marketing. We taught that course over 23 times. It's, I, I don't do it any longer, although we're, we're talking about potentially launching uh, an updated one here with best practices from the hundreds of other owners that we've worked with in terms of their application of it in a more modernized marketing automated world. Um, more on that in a bit, but that was 2015. And then what we've seen over the last seven uh, or eight years is wide and mass adoption of marketing direct to the consumer. Again, that this was somewhat forced upon us just because of external circumstances. So 100, 120 years ago, we're very much an extent of the physician strictly in the hospital as a reconstruction aid over time that that lifeline went away, right? Unless we're a physician, a physical therapist working in the hospital system, and we've been forced to market, learn how to market uh, direct to the consumer. And so seven or eight years ago for private practice survival, we really had to learn how to, how to do that, how to market um, and market in a new way. And there were some pitfalls along the way, you know, the pitfall number one, and I have three or four written down here that I'll go through. Number one was uh, th this idea of a seesaw, you know, or roller coaster where we get really busy, you know, more than half of our, of the private practices in the country are really solopreneurs. So um, that means, you know, you're likely your only clinician, maybe you have a part-time or another full-time clinician, but that's the extent of the practice. Um, so, and if I reflect back on what I went through and then talking with other owners that are in that position, um, you know, it, we get really busy treating, we drop the marketing ball and then our new patients go down and then we run out and we start marketing again, or we 
you know, now we have to write a new email campaign or uh, a new online ad campaign or whatever that may be. We, you know, we run out to the physician offices like I was doing 18 years ago, um, if that's still possible in your area. But we're constantly balancing this treating and marketing. The next thing that happens, another pitfall, is blaming the media. So back in 2014, 2015, when we started with Breakthrough, the one thing that um, Carl, the Carl Mattiola, co-founder here at Breakthrough, what he did was he surveyed a physical therapist about their marketing. And the one question that he asked was something along the lines of, what's the biggest waste of money um, that you've had in marketing your private practice? And the I, I think the number was 35 or 38 unique answers, 37 unique answers, something like that. And uh, initially in the survey, we didn't do much with this. So, and we, we saw everything on there. So billboards, radio, TV, patient newsletter, physician newsletter, physician luncheons, swag, like t-shirts and coffee mugs, um, online marketing, Google, SEO, Yelp, uh, yellow page ads, print ads, just about anything that you could possibly imagine was an answer as the biggest waste of money. And it was pretty widespread. Um, and and equal with equal weighting, so nothing really jumped out. the 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 cognition for us, the aha moment, came from uh, doing a similar survey, which was what was the most successful thing that you've ever done marketing your practice. And oddly, it was nearly the same exact list, nearly an identical list. And what that so it probably took us three to six months, maybe uh, somewhere in that range of looking at this and, you know, what is this really telling us? And the thing that jumped out after a while, the realization was, wow, as private practice owners, the only thing that we're really blaming in our marketing is the media. So, you know, it's practice owner A can advertise on Google or Facebook or Instagram or YouTube and have an amazing result. Practice owner B is doing the same media right? But maybe is off in their messaging, is off in their target market. Maybe they don't understand how to use the media. They don't get a result. And practice owner A says, greatest thing I'm doing is advertising here. Practice owner B says, the worst thing that I'm doing is advertising here. But n- both of them are um, agnostic or they're, they're, um, they're not aware that there's more to the marketing formula than just media selection. Right. So that's where we get into the market message media match. You've heard me talk about that here before. You've heard other owners talk about it here before, other experts as well. But that in order for marketing to work, you know, that first principle is our, we must pick a target market. Um, and it, the more specific it is, the better. Number two is we have to select media that they're consuming. Right. So if our target market is not on Facebook, we shouldn't be on Facebook. If they're not um, on Google, we shouldn't be on Google. If they are on Snapchat, I'll use a really bad example, which absolutely isn't true, but for some odd reason, if our target market was on Snapchat, then we should be using that media or vice versa. If our target market is paying attention to what's in their mailbox or they're um, they're reading a certain newspaper in our area or listening to a certain radio station, then we should be there. Um, if they are on Facebook, if they are on Google, if they are on Instagram, if they are on YouTube, then we should be there as well. Right, so that's the media component. And then the messaging is, um, and this is the third big pitfall, most of the messaging that we look at, not just in private practice PT, but all of conservative care, 
um, and frankly, all, all of not conservative care, which is, you know, medications, injections, surgery, they do this as well, is they focus, the focus tends to be on themselves. So um, it's rather selfish once you become aware of it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but most of us, we buy media, we buy messaging that makes us feel good as a clinician, right? I went to school for years. I earned a degree. I have special certifications. Any, any advertising that I do, any marketing that I do, any positioning that I do within the marketplace is going to talk about how great I am. That, that's a recipe for wasted marketing dollars, right? What does work, um, what is significantly better, if we use messaging that is very lay, that is easily understandable, and that is really value-based or trust-based, um, but we deliver value, valuable information to our target market. Um, for example, the you know I could talk about um, if I were creating a marketing campaign ad hoc right now, you know, we could talk about how we're the premier provider um, in our area. You know, what does that mean? I, I don't know, but it makes us feel good. I could talk about how our clinicians um, teach how to treat on a national level. They've been published in uh, physical therapy peer reviewed journals. I could talk about, uh, you know, how many of our clinicians have OCS or SCS or some other um, specialized credential, which is awesome for peer-to-peer -peer recognition, but is inadequate in terms of the lay public understanding what that means, right? Or we could talk about, here are the top three exercises for back pain, right? Or a back pain workshop or a book on back pain or how to treat your own back or, you know, something valuable um, to our potential target market, right? So anytime that we do that, the pitfall would be to talk about ourselves, to shine the flashlight the spotlight on ourselves. The right way to market is to understand the conversation that's already going on in the customer's head, potential customer's head. Uh, by the way, that's a that idea is from Robert Collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R. If you want to swim upstream in your uh, uh, 1930s copywriting uh, geek like like myself here, um, but uh, like me, but. Uh, yeah, you know, a better message is to focus on the patient, talk about the problem from their perspective and deliver valuable um, goodwill content there um, and ultimately positioning our practice, especially when we're talking about cold traffic and marketing direct to the consumer for people who aren't aware of who we are yet or what, what our services and products can do for them. The other um, evolution that the key part of the evolution that we're seeing is um, seven or eight years ago, the, you know, one of the initial things that I saw was this. So we all started doing direct to consumer marketing. There was a lot of throwing spaghetti at the wall and let's see what works. Um, for many owners, uh, that's really what they were doing, you know, rapidly trying to solve this problem. And there was a, a that initial focus on attraction. So how do we get people in our area to raise their hands and interact with our advertising? So when we focus on branding or when we focus on advertising messaging that makes us feel good, um, we usually don't get a response, right? And you've heard me talk about the principles of direct response marketing on here uh, within this podcast or on our webinars frequently. But the, the game number one was just to attract patients, right? Get them to raise their hand, uh, register for a workshop, download a book, 
um, call our office, whatever the CTA, the call to action was, it, it, it's that attraction, right? That's It's the copy in the ad, it's nailing the ad the right way. It's having a campaign where we're capturing their information so we can have a future conversation with them. Um, the other thing that we've talked about there uh, more recently is the five levels of awareness. The, so most practice owners will say something along the lines of, you know, I wish more people in my area knew what fill in the blank, physical therapy, chiropractic care, um, massage therapy, personal training, dentistry, ophthalmology, whatever specialty you're in. Um, I wish more people knew what, uh, what we could do for them, how we could help them, right? And the right way to think about it, uh, an evolving thought, which is really a 50-year-old thought that just came back in vogue recently, is the levels of awareness. And if you think about this, so we'll do a quick example here, where I'm at recording this in the studio here in central PA, um, within a 10 mile radius, there might be 100,000 people. And let's say 5% of them have had shoulder pain within the last 30 days, so that would be 5,000 people. Now, obviously we can't treat 5,000 people um, within the next month, we just don't have the infrastructure to do it. But would it not be nice if we broke those that those 5,000 people down into different categories so we could help those um, that would most benefit from our service quickly, right? So on one end of the scale, in terms of awareness, we have very low awareness, right? This is the person who doesn't know what physical therapy is. Maybe they just, they just registered that they can't put their belt on like they used to because of a shoulder problem or they can't reach in the back seat. They can't sleep at night like they used to, right? but they're not thinking physical therapy. They're definitely not thinking Madden PT, right? Madden physical therapy in any way. They're more, they're not aware, right? So they're not aware of the problem. They don't know what impingement is or even that they have impingement if that's the case. And they're certainly not aware of what physical therapy can do. On the other end of the scale, we have extreme awareness, which is the person that has shoulder pain and has, I came to us three years ago for shoulder pain, uh, for impingement syndrome. We helped them achieve their goals. They were pain-free three years ago. They achieved all their, their range of motion goals and their strength goals, and they got back to full function. Now they have a flare-up, right? That person is going to, they're a high level of awareness. It's a very easy offer. It's usually just schedule an appointment. They, they're probably even finding us and, you know, calling us or on their own, or typically what happens is they'll, they'll go to, they'll Google uh, Madden and Gilbert physical therapy, and then just call us and schedule an appointment, right? That would be high level of awareness. Well, over time, we, we've learned to discern as healthcare providers that we need to really be, um, we have, need to have lines in the water to use a fishing analogy in all levels of awareness, right? Not only our warm, our past patient list, but also completely cold traffic. And if we're looking for consistent growth over time, and if um, we want to have maximum, uh, let's call it predictable practice growth, if that's the goal and we're looking for that consistency, then we have to build systems that address um, the full spectrum of awareness, right? We can't just have cold marketing, we need warm marketing and everything else in between. So after we nail the attraction, the next evolution, and this was kind of funny because two years ago, um, somebody, told this to me and I was like, I 
I'm very aware that this is the problem. Marketing attraction isn't the real problem for most of us. And I know this might come across as controversial, but once you nail the ad and once you have people raising their hands, most of us drop the ball. We have leaks in the process. So, and what's happening there is uh, there, there's a conversion component. So very good advertising, the best advertising in the world. You know, let's say you worked with the ad agency that did the whole got milk campaign. You know, this is a hypothetical situation, but you have millions of dollars to throw out marketing. You get the best ad in the world. You're running ads in the Super Bowl and, uh, you know, on the, the back page of the New York Times and everything else. And you, you've just created tremendous demand. Well, once you've done that, the next problem that arises is conversion. And, you know, for me, I started to hit on this in 2010, 2011, when I was posting uh, some very simple YouTube videos that are, I just looked the other day, they're still, I mean, we still get over 100,000 views a month um, on the channel, which is kind of crazy because I haven't really touched it in uh, close to 10 years. But anyhow, th those videos that I was posting in 2010 and 2011 for patients, some of them went viral. And to the extent that I think in 2014 or 2015, if you would have Googled the term sciatica, we were the only video to come up on that uh, in the first fold. So you wouldn't have even had to scroll that video just came up. Now that is long gone. Uh, other YouTube creators have come on and you know far surpassed anything that we did. But what was happening is I was getting these uh, very long emails from uh, people who were desperate, who had tried everything, who had back pain and sciatica, um, essentially from all over the world, Europe, India, Australia, um, Canada, US, South America, it was kind of crazy the reach that we had there. And it was, you know, here's my, my diagnostic imaging. These are the results of the test that I had. This is what I'm suffering. Uh, can you help? And in the beginning, I was trying to, you know, uh, carrying on a lot of conversations via email, which is a very difficult medium to guide people in the right direction. And one day I just, you know, looked at the, immense amount of work that I was doing, trying to give the right advice and help people the right way. And also trying to figure out this new media, which was YouTube out. And I just started saying, Hey, uh, can you travel to Harrisburg? Like, how can you make it here? Like, you know, are, are you able to do this? Surprisingly, it, it worked <laughs> in, a, in a small percentage of cases where people figured out a way um, to travel here. And I would treat them and um, every single time we had a traveler, I believe they did extremely well, achieved their outcomes. And then, you know, we would set them up with a home program. And we didn't really have, you know, Zoom as a tool. Um, we had Skype at the time, which was kind of a weird, uh, a weird media to use, but yeah, conversion was the problem, right? So, and it's still the problem today. You know, we might not have the challenge of, can, uh, a conversion conversation with somebody who's living in California, flying across the country to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania for treatment, um, which we really had before. But, you know, it's interacting with somebody who's responded to our ad and they live 13 miles away, right? Can we have, not only can you and I as clinicians have a meaningful conversation with that patient, but that, you know, it's, can our office can our team members, can our marketers, can our callers, whatever you want to 
our patient care representatives? Can they have those meaningful conversations? And I can tell you right now, um, we are dropping the ball a lot across the board, regardless of our specialty as healthcare practitioners. And you need to look no farther than just um, audit any email, any text messaging, any phone calls um, that you're receiving. And you know maybe you don't have a recorded call, maybe you're just um, in the same office as your receptionist um, when he or she is having that conversion conversation. But that, that is the real problem for most of us. We're able to generate interest. We're able to generate patient demand with the right attraction, but we're dropping the ball on conversion. It is important that we have automation in place to help out with that two-way texting um, that we're not getting lost in spreadsheets. I, I know um, our group, uh, our, our marketing group here, we're, we're fighting the spreadsheet battle pretty hard. The goal is that we're out of spreadsheets um, before the end of this quarter. And uh, yeah, and that we're completely in software, which is the right way for any organization that is looking to grow and scale and be efficient and save time in particular, um, that we're in software. But um, yeah, that we're harnessing automation and software to help with those conversion conversations. But once we have uh, that human interaction with the potential patient and a team member, um, we need to know what to say, how, you know, how to have a meaningful conversation in a way that shows genuine interest, that builds trust um, in that potential patient to the point that they actually schedule a plan of care with us, get the help that they need, follow through, and get back to normal again. Um, so that's big kind of realization number two. Um, and you're going to hear that more and more. Um, we started talking about it a little while ago um, when I taught that initial course in terms of conversion, we primarily were focused on, uh, this is back in 2014, uh, the, what the clinician should be saying um, in the room, because I believe there's a lot of drop off there, but now it, you know, it spans uh, our entire team that everybody is aware what to say and how to keep their focus on the patient and not, um, not let balls drop there in, in our marketing. And then finally, we need to be able to measure it all. And again, that's uh, for us, that's why we want out of spreadsheets at, at our peak. I believe our group, it, we had six different spreadsheets uh, for the different offices uh, that we have, you know, one tracking, one marketing initiative we had. And it, we were just, I mean, up to 50% of our marketing time, our man hours were managing spreadsheets. So switching over everything over to software so that we can measure what is going on, that we can actually see um, what is working well, where do we have drop off, where do we have, you know, a, a clinician that needs some support and coaching um, with regards to that first appointment in the room where they're actually converting over at a very high rate, like 90% plus um, from free screens, discovery visits, IEs, whatever it may be, over to a full plan of care. Um, and then where do we have outliers who are just, you know, uber performers that are performing really well that we can capture a best practice there and roll it out um, selfishly to the rest of our private practice, but also um, to you, the independent private practice owner um, that's trying to solve this as well. So essentially there, we're trying to do more of what works um, and less of what doesn't. But in order to do that, we actually have to have the data, the metrics behind what we're doing. And software is the answer to that. You know, the practice of the future um, 
what we're really looking at there is, you know, solving that control and consistency. Um, I know for us, um, and this was a really good problem we just had today, but uh, in our last de novo clinic, which is less than one year old, um, we have, I think it's 1800 square feet. Uh, Jan Grove is the uh, clinical director there, uh, DPT. She's done an amazing job. She's an awesome student, uh, three full-time clinicians, and they're already up to, I think she just shared, they have 170 visits scheduled next week. Um, and they have a, a wait list in that, in that new location already. So we're trying, you know, rapidly to hire another license there facing the same problems that you are. But, you know, the, the thing that I commended her on was, uh, in a very short period of time by mastering some key principles and patient demand, which is what we're talking about here in marketing, uh, private practice marketing, she's developed that consistency, um, it's very repeatable going back to the same systems and just keeping the systems running and is able to fill her schedules in her space. The other thing that I noticed, um, you know, in terms of practice of the future is just building value within the community. I, you know, I'm biased to workshops. That's what's worked for me in my 20 plus year um, physical therapy career, but that's not a new idea. That workshops, seminars, uh, lectures, whatever you may want to call them, lunch and learns, they've been around for 150 plus years. You've heard me talk about Elizabeth Longfellow, already first female physician in the US and how she was able to circumnavigate the AMA um, restrictions around advertising where early AMA in the 1800s, early 1900s was as a physician, you're not allowed to advertise because they wanted to discern themselves differentiate themselves from charlatans or what's better known as snake oil salesmen, cure-alls, um, and uh, people that were selling elixirs without a license. So um, yeah, that it, it is still, it's still the way it's, you know, providing value within your community, um, using trust-based marketing as well. And um, I, I think you're going to hear more and more people talking about consistent patient demand and also ways to do that, that uh, save time. Because you and I as private practice owners, um, especially those of us that are still treating day to day, um, there usually is better things to do with our time than uh, focus on marketing and you know being on that seesaw roller coaster that I alluded to earlier. So we need to have systems in place, reliable processes, repeatable processes that allow us uh, to get some time back so we can focus more you know, working on the business, uh, building systems in other areas like HR compliance, being able to hire, attract those future team members, provide training, uh, focus on our finances, uh, do planning of additional space or additional clinics, et cetera, but really have that time to work on our business versus turning the nuts and bolts um, in the marketing. And I'll leave you with this, um, you know, change in particular um, as we evolve over time is, is not easy, right? Uh, many times the, the change that we're going through, the pain of right now, uh, you know, if you're a Ryan Holiday fan or, the, you know, you've been following the recent rise in stoicism, obstacle is the way type mantra, um, th th there is a silver lining on the other side of change. And I, I see private practice owners um, in general, especially over the last two years being 
very resilient, being very much able to survive and adapt uh, to the changing times. And you know, if you go back 500 years to when we were primarily an agricultural-based uh, economy, essentially everywhere in the world, and you know, a change came along, which was, you know, I think it's Eli Whitney and the cotton gin. You had this new machine all of a sudden that could process, um, that could produce so much more than before. And it's very much the same way with the marketing tools that are coming along. You know, um, 25 years ago, I didn't have a, a, a tool to communicate with 10,000 people at the same time, which today would be email, right? Or it could be, um, you know, the social media platforms that we have today. We have an infinite amount of new cotton gins or uh, innovations that allow us to market and communicate in a in a, a much better way, a much more efficient way than before. And I think the issue is, um, which kind of happened in the beginning of the industrial revolution as well, is it, we can become overwhelmed with all the new tools versus, you know, just going back to the first principles, what works really well, what's working well, where do we see, you know, another farmer using the cotton gin to its highest potential and how can we mimic that? How can we learn from somebody that is using the new tools, the new machinery um, better than uh, everybody else or, you know, the, essentially a best practice and how can we adopt that? How can we learn from that? That's where my mind goes to. And I think, you know, the, the those practice owners that are going to have consistent growth in the future, they're, they're connected. They understand that, you know, there's no value in being an island, being out alone, figuring it all out themselves um, that, yeah, that might result in a little bit of pride, but it, it there's, there's ego um, in the way there. And we can all learn um, as a group and adapt um, together much more quickly than we can um, as separated islands. So um, in the quest for patient demand, I think that's where everything is going. Anyhow, hope you enjoyed this probably 10, 15 minutes of objective history, um, brief history of the evolution of healthcare marketing, and also uh, 25 minutes of me pontificating and ranting about it. nonetheless. Um, thank you for putting the work in that you do as a conservative care private practice owner and, you know, ultimately helping flip the pyramid, helping uh, serve more people and help them avoid unnecessary medications, injections, surgery, diagnostic imaging, and really changing the healthcare system here uh, for the better. Thanks for all you do and uh, take care. Remember to visit getbreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, Make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.